We read again this morning from Judges chapter 6, the three simple verses that I have been trying to work my way through. Verse 12, 13, and 14 of Judges chapter 6. And Gideon said, sorry, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel. From the hand of the Midianites, have not I sent thee? Turn with me, if you will, again, please, and stand. Then we sing together number 681. Standing, please. God, the spring of all my joys, the life of my delights, the glory of my brightest days, the comfort of my nights. In darkest shades, if he appear, my dawning is begun. He is my soul's bright morning star. He and he is the rising sun. The opening heavens around me shine. With beams of sacred bliss, while Jesus shows his love is mine and whispers, I am his. My soul would leave this heavy claim. At that transporting word And run with joy the shining way To meet my gracious Lord Fearless of hell 
and ghastly death I break through every foe the wings of love and arms of faith shall bear me conqueror Be seated. We are pursuing these three verses under a title, If, Then Why? Words taken from the lips of Gideon in verse 13. And I have subtitled this Reasoning from Affliction. I am now in my third message in attempting an exposition and application of these three simple verses here in this record, contained in verses 12 through 14. I have sought to address our hearts to this solemn, profound, spontaneous question that erupts from Gideon's heart when he cries out, O my Lord, if, then why? I have said once at least, this is the question of the ages, surely. In the first message, we looked at some, at some length at the context of the question, which was my first point in outlining this section the context of the question. And then we took up toward the close of that first message, and again on the next week, we looked at that awful subject of the consternation of the questioner. We looked together at the appearance of the angel of the Lord to Gideon, in his distress. And I showed you from this text lessons from the timing of that divine visitation. I said to you in that second message that I wanted to slow our pace somewhat in the consideration of my outline and pause and look more closely at Gideon's consternation and feed in this pasture a bit more slowly. I had started the fulfillment of my design on last week by looking at the timing, as I said, of the appearance of the Lord to this soul in consternation. But now today, I want us to look more closely again at the lessons learned by Gideon 
while he is in his desperate consternation. I had mentioned back when we first started to look at this record of Gideon, I had mentioned and talked to you about what a thrilling story this is, the story of Gideon. It has always been a favorite with teachers teaching children because it's a great story of wonder and excitement, of adventure and triumph, of victory out of peril. It has all the elements of a great epic. God will raise up a man a lowly man, a degraded and desperate man. God will raise him up in this story to power and glory, exaltation and triumph. What great things God will do for his people and for his glory and what a glorious story to teach children. But here, just now, here in these verses, this great God finds his instrument, a lowly servant, hiding away, transfixed as it were in the depths of his trials, transfixed in the mundane labors of a harsh and bare existence. Gideon has lessons to learn in his preparation for the service of God. I say it again, Gideon has lessons to learn in the preparation to his service for this great God. We too should learn both young and old alike that there are ever and always preparations to be made in our lives if there is to be a service acceptable to God. Wisely has one commentator said this, God's agents, whether kings or judges, prophets or apostles, are reasonable agents. They are not inanimate machines or blind instruments. They are living, thinking, feeling, reasoning men. When they are called to great and heroic works, they must be endued with great and heroic thoughts. A high sense of justice. A noble contempt of gain. Wisdom with lofty courage. The enthusiasm of love with the moderation of prudence are the qualities that must be found in them respectively. The sword which is to pierce must first be sharpened. The intelligence which is to guide 
must first be enlightened. The arm which is to prevail must first be strengthened. The spirit which is to triumph over difficulties and obstacles must first be awakened and fed and sustained. The work to which Gideon was called was no common work. A nation to be upheaved from the lowest vassalage of spiritless slaves and dejected helots into victory and freedom. And another nation to be dragged down from power and possession and supremacy and dominion with no apparent instruments with which to effect it. His was no ordinary service. And who was this Gideon? The least considerable member of a poor family of a divided tribe of which no name was famous in the annals of his country, a man unknown and unheard of, whose occupation was to thrash corn stealthily, lest the Midianites should take it, a man thought nothing of by his countrymen and contemptuously overlooked by his foreign masters. But he was the chosen instrument for delivering Israel. He must then be prepared. He must be prepared. Oh, may we, one and all, take here, take heed here to the preparations in the life of Gideon. But especially do I speak this morning to the younger among us. Take heed to these lessons of his preparation. I give them to you in no particular order. Number one, he must know himself. That ancient Greek aphorism that is inscribed on the temple of, at Delphi, that inscription on the temple of Delphi is not the origin of this truth. Gideon, by God's sovereign providence, has been brought to know painfully who and what he is. Look at verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In Gideon's preparation to this great work that he is to do for God, it is necessary that he must grind out who he is and know himself. And God by his providence has ordered all of these things to bring him down to this place to know himself. Someone has described him in another place in these words that are absolutely accurate, but I find them always difficult. They said he's the youngest descendant of an insignificant family in a secondary tribe 
called out while acting in the capacity of the lowliest servant. And God has made him to know it. Gideon must have no delusions as to who he is if he is to learn who this angel is. <laughs> oh, listen to me. The downfall of many who have set out well and there were hopes, great hopes for them among believers and in churches. The downfall of many that have set out well is brought to a tragic end by pride. No, this, no wonder that the scriptures are so replete with warnings against it. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Chapter 16 and verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Chapter 29, verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Chapter 16 and verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Galatians 6 and verse 3. If a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. James chapter 4 and verse 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace. To the humble, I've known men that were proud of their humility. <laughs> oh, proud of their humility. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. Chapter 26 and verse 12. Seest thou, man? Wise in his own conceit, there is more hope for a fool than him. On and on and on I could go this morning telling you what God thinks about a man that's proud. Gideon, in order to preparation for his service, must first know who he is. He must know himself. And it's true for every one of us. Number two, Gideon for number one must be made to know himself. But number two, Gideon must be made to know who God is. Oh, he must be made to know who God is. He must know first his name and second his power. Look, he must know. He must know his name. Look at verse 10. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. I am the Lord your God. 
Oh, I hope I'm not hung up. I've even criticized before, and I don't want to be object of my own criticism. I've criticized men that get hung up on one thing in their preaching, and they're on one track, and that's all they're ever on, and that's all they're ever talking about. I hope I don't become that, but I don't mind telling you. I don't mind telling you this subject is dear to my heart. It's important that we must know who God is. And we've got a God that's being preached in the pulpits across America today. That's not the God of this Bible. This God said, I am Lord. And nobody was asked to vote on it. Sovereign. King. Unchallenged and unright. Gideon must know who God is. He must know his name. His name is Lord, King of all. But also he must know his power. Look at verse 19. Gideon went in and made ready a kid. I know we haven't gotten to this yet. We'll get to it, but listen to it. Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put into a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak. <laughs> and presented, boy, that would be a great sermon title, wouldn't it? Him under the oak. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the angel of God said to him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and Lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and unleavened cakes, and then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Oh, listen, Gideon needs some preparation. He needs to learn who God is. And here he needs to see his power. He just took the stick and just touched it. Fire out of the rock. <laughs> Oh, listen to me. It's not until you have come to know. It is not until you have come to know personally, experientially, His power that you will be prepared to serve. It's not until you come to know His power that you'll be prepared to serve. I said personally. I said experientially. I'm not talking about having a head full of knowledge and you've read a thousand books about men and biographies of men who had that experience. Those are important and useful, but they'll do no good for you until you've experienced the power of God. Gideon needs some preparation. Number three. First, he must be made to know himself. 
Secondly, he must be made to know who God is. Thirdly, he must be made to know his own personal calling. Verse 14, The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? I. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Gideon must be made to know that God has called him to this. Someone has very wisely said, a man or a woman is not at liberty to follow his or her private aims when the heavenly voice speaks thus within him. A higher plane of life and action is created by such a voice. An unseen influence isolates and consecrates him. This usually imparts greater definiteness to his conduct. He or she no longer beats at the air. If you're just floundering around, if you're just busy like a squirrel in a cage, you need to settle the call of God. If God has called you, says this author, you no longer have the liberty to follow providence. You live on a higher plane. Life is created for you in a different action because of this voice. Oh, listen to me. Gideon, your preparation, you're going to have to be made to know your personal calling. God called you to this. Oh, listen, one of the great sorrows and tragedies of of this modern era of quasi-Christianity, one of the great sorrows and tragedies of this modern quasi-Christian era is that we've had hundreds of young zealots enlist themselves into Christian service with no certainty, no sense of this calling, no conviction of God's demands on their every breath. Degree mills are turning out professional workers with nothing of the knowledge and nothing of the conviction of a call from God. Oh, if Gideon is to serve, 
then this angel will make him to know his calling. That is what this entire scene in chapter 6 is all about. It's all about Gideon sorting out and sealing this calling. Could I just give you a sidelight here? Just a sidelight from that. We no longer have Christophanes. That's what Gideon had. He had a visitation from Christ visually, physically. We no longer have Christophanes. We have a completed revelation. And God no longer appears in person to convey these callings. But he has ordained the leadership of his church to the task. Amen. We no longer have Christophanes. God has put the authority in his church. But nevertheless, the individual, every individual must have knowledge be brought to know their calling. Young people, if you don't know it, wait on it. Pray for it and wait on it. Don't rush out and be foolish. Wait on it. Pray for it. Listen to the church. But now, finally, if Gideon is to be properly prepared to the service of God, number four, he must be made to know personal communion with God. Oh, this is so important. Oh, my dearly beloved. Look at verse 22. When Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Look at verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Well, listen to me. Gideon is to have service to God. If Gideon is to be serviceable to God, and serviceable to his people. He must be made to know personal communion. Verse 22, he said, Oh, Lord God, I've seen him. I've seen him face to face. I preached on last week, and I said much, on it, I said, you're going to have to learn to get alone with God. No degree from a seminary will do the job. 
You know I'm not criticizing degrees from seminaries. I absolutely am not. I encourage all the academic you can achieve. I encourage it. You know I'm not criticizing that. For the sake of those that don't know me, it might get this tape. I want you to know I'm not criticizing academics. I encourage my wife and I encourage completely all the academics you can achieve. But I'm telling you that no degree from a seminary will suffice if you haven't learned personal communion with this angel. No seminary degree will satisfy your need or accomplish the work for your service. No daily devotional app on your telephone will do the job. No internet chain of Bible study groups is going to do the job. No uplifting inspirationals delivered to your door will get it done. None of these means are appointed of God to substitute for your personal Vital communion with God in Christ. Person. Communion with God in Christ. In His Word and in prayer. Why do you think our Lord Himself so often resorted to it? Personal communion with Christ. Oh, my beloved friends, if we're to ever be of service, of service to our Lord, we must be made ready by preparation. These are but some of the elements in our text of Gideon's preparations for the service of God. Oh, I pray that God would give you and give me grace to take them up to our own hearts as we dwell on the consternation of this question. Oh, he must be prepared. There's some preparation work being done. He must be prepared in his consternation, he must be prepared. God help us. God help us to make these preparations. God willing, on next week, I'll take up our final point in the outline. I hope on next week to open to our hearts the consolation of the questioned. Would you stand with me again, please, and sing together with me hymn number 629. My thoughts surmount these lower skies and look within the veil there springs of endless pleasure rise. The waters never fail.
thoughts surmount these lower skies and look within the veil that springs of endless pleasure rise. The waters never fail. There I behold with sweet delight the blessed three in one and strong affection speaks my sight on God's incarnate Son. His promise stands forever firm his grace shall ne'er depart he binds my name upon his arm and seals it on his heart light are the pains that nature brings how short our sorrows are when with eternal future things the present we compare. I would not be a stranger still to that celestial place where I forever hope to dwell near my Redeemer's face.